Do you remember how to count? T-squared. 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 Hi, Eric. Hi, Matt. And hello to everybody out in Podlandia. This is T-squared, a teaching and technology podcast. And uh, today we are happy to welcome another special guest to our studio, Justin Melek. Say hi, Justin. Hi, everybody. Uh, Justin is one of our digital media developers here, and uh, we thought we'd just take a chance to talk to him about uh, things that are digital and media and things he develops but first of all every podcast you start with the coffee this is the coffee pot at work listen to it perk and i'm excited about this blend this is special roast from roasters local roast right in grand rapids yeah we we actually happen to be at one of their uh, one of their retail locations and started up a conversation with the manager and we mentioned that we like coffee and we have a podcast and she said, hey, let me hook you up. So um, we've got a lot of great stuff. Hunter, here's your mug there. First of all, he's not Hunter. Second of all, he doesn't want coffee. Oh, shit. Uh, I already had my one coffee. <laughs> I, I'll just delete that. Oh my gosh, you're to delete the so a special uh, a special shout out to Taylor, manager at Rowers Club, one of our favorite haunts. Thank you for the coffee. And what uh, the, the viewers at home can't tell is I'm drinking. This is not promotion, nor are we sponsored. But I'm drinking this from my new Roasters travel mug. Oh, nice. And I am wearing a limited edition Roasters oh, wow. coffee t-shirt, which says, hello, coffee. Hello, nice. coffee. We need a picture on the show notes on that. that that's awesome. Yeah. Okay. Tasting time. Hmm. Tasting a little bit of baking chocolate, a little bit of pumpkin, and a little bit of earthy. Seeing you read a little bit of the label, yeah. Very, very bold, very rich. I think those are our favorite adjectives. And we always say it's good. (laughs) So last time we were here, um, Hunter, who probably knows more about coffee than we do, um, informed us that... um, Central and Southern American coffees have less acidity, right? Yeah. And I seem to remember that correctly. So this is from Honduras, which is in, in our hemisphere. So yeah, I do notice that it is is less acidic than some. Um, it's got an aroma to it that I can't quite peg. I don't want to say it's smoky. Um, not tobacco-y. I don't think I'm licensed to use those adjectives. But um, hmm. at any rate, yes, it's good. And This might be my new favorite. Your new favorite? Yeah. Uh, Honduras um, blend, yeah. And there's information on the bag. Um, But at any rate, um, you can check out Rowers Coffee online. Their URL is roasterscoffee.com. That's roasters, R-O-W-S-T-E-R-C-O-F-F-E-E. So um, if you want to pick up a nice bag of Honduras, there it is. And once again, thank you, Taylor. Uh, Thank you very much. And here's to more. Plenty fine cups of joe from... Grand Rapids Roasters. So, Matt, tell me about Mr. and Mrs. Coffee. How are they doing? 
I don't know. Should we retire Mr. Coffee's name since Mr. Coffee number one is like dead on my back porch still? Um, but <laughs> I don't remember if this was admitted on the podcast or not uh, in the last episode. But my wife did get me another set of coffee plans for Valentine's this year. And we, we've learned everything we uh, did wrong the first time around. We're trying to correct. So we separate out all the seedlings. The, the coffee family is actually spread across three different pots at the moment. And <laughs> I am pleased to say, let's see, there are six. I think there are six separate, um, six separate sprouts. One kind of died off, but it was the runt of the litter. Boy, now I'm sad. Um, forget that. But at any rate, there are six remaining ones, and five of them are doing magnificently because – my metric here is that the five of them actually have new growth on them, and they've actually gone from tiny little leaves to good size leaves. So there's one that's short and hasn't sprouted, but I'd say we're doing really well. So, you know, and with spring here, I would imagine they're going to start growing yeah. very well. Yeah, they're sitting in the middle of our dining room table right now. They're not right close to the window like they were last time, which is probably why the coffee got pre-roasted as opposed to um, as opposed to actually just growing normally, but. I have a new addition to my home as well. Oh, I don't do know you? I don't know if you want to say they're cousins or not, but I have a picture here. Oh, uh, so you got another plant Junior, too. maybe? Or, okay. You know. Very leafy. Yeah. Where did you get yours? I believe the local Home Depot. Home Despot. Okay. Yeah. Um, did it, in fact, say coffee plant on it? It did, yes. Okay. Because last time when you got a plant, it didn't say home. It didn't say coffee. So we were No, little... it didn't. Yeah, this... And then all the leaves fell off, too, because I left it outside <laughs> for too long in the winter. So. Yeah, and not, not good. Yeah. At any rate, so um, stay tuned for future updates on our coffee-growing exploits. And for the, the one day, about five years hence, when we'll get to enjoy about half a cup of coffee from all of our <laughs> plantation. If you like to look at good coffee, listen to good coffee, smell good coffee... <laughs> So like I said at the top of the show, we have a special guest this time around, and that's Justin Melick. Uh, Justin, how long have you been with us at Grand Valley? Uh, I think probably around four, almost four, yeah, four and a half years now, for sure. Did we, did you come on board before Eric did, or after? Like, technically after, but not much after. Okay. Yeah. So you were a GA at the time? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Came in? Yeah. Yep. So August 2014. Okay. August 2014. That seems I, so long ago. And I started in August of 2013. Okay, so there is a there is a gap. Yeah. I, I'm losing track of what's happened when. But uh, Justin, we were very excited when we hired him. We're still excited that he's around. But the, the reason we were excited when we hired him is because he filled a new position that we didn't have in the e-learning um, office or group here before. And that was someone who's got a special focus on not just consultation about things, but also helping faculty to create content, and in particular, digital content. And what digital content means, I mean, has changed over time. In the last episode with Hunter Bridwell, we talked about some of the stuff he does, which focuses upon um, a lot of mixed and augmented reality work. Uh, our two digital media developers don't necessarily split responsibilities for kind of media, but Justin has had a little different focus in his time here. Why don't you say a little bit, Justin, about um, I mean your background and the kind of work that you do here at Grand Valley? Sure. So before coming to Grand Valley, um, I actually did my undergrad here um, in social, uh, social studies and political science. And for a while, I was a high school history teacher in New Buffalo, Michigan. And then I came back and got my master's degree in educational technology. I was a grad assistant in the College of Education, doing pretty similar work to what I do now. 
um, then came here and started um, working with digital media um, four and a half years ago. And you came at a time too, I think that was pretty pivotal because the digital studio, which we've had for a number of years in, um, in the e-learning group, uh, was transitioning as well, right? I mean, it was transitioning yeah. from a, a place that you could go and get your digital media converted, right? From, I guess, analog, you know, videotapes to CD-ROM or whatever, yeah, right? Whatever. And we were seeing that, you know, um, change to uh, an area instead of converting material that we were creating. Yeah, so, yeah, at the time when we moved, we were in a different building, and it was really way more focused on conversion um, and that's obviously always going to be a dying thing. It'll never, you know, you're running out of analog media to convert. So, yeah, moving to more digital content, uh, trying to have student workers that have a more film and video background so they can help. Uh, we can help them grow by using the skills that they're learning here and then putting them into practice in a semi-professional way at the university. And you, you came with a really interesting idea at one point, too. You, you thought up this idea of a light board, right? Or... Well, I think originally Matt found the light board online okay. somewhere, sent it to me. Did I? You know, at one point I have a I could go back through an email history and figure it out. But either way, um, yeah, we found an article about a light board, which was made at Northwestern um, by Professor uh, Michael Peshkin and their electrical engineering department. And at the time, there were definitely less than like twenty of them in the United States that at least he knew about. Michael Peshkin knew about. Um, so I went about designing. Uh, one here at Grand Valley that was kind of based on some plans that Duke uh, Duke University had online, um, kind of fit them to our needs and built the original one pretty much six months after I started, actually less than that probably, almost, yeah, it's been around here at least for four years now. Um, and that kind of grew and grew and grew. So now we have three on three different campuses or at least different buildings. Um, yeah, and it's been really successful. We've definitely, I think we crossed the 500 video mark this semester at some point. Um, so yeah, it's gotten a lot of use, have entire courses flipped that way. So the, the light board are also known as we Learn, got a learning glass. Learning glass. Yeah, it was actually kind of invented by two people at the same time who mm. didn't know each other were inventing it. Yeah. That's how science works. Yeah. It's really been an, a value add to the digital studio, right? Because it, yeah. it, it provides a really unique way of delivering video-based content that can be typically impersonal because if you think about the Khan Academy style videos where it's just a whiteboard or whatever, yeah. in this case, you can see the instructor, right? Yeah, so you can see the person's face. You can kind of get all the nonverbal cues that you can't get in a true screencast. Uh, you can get all the um, you know, all the body language and all that good stuff. And also importantly, um, the way I designed our workflow is to be really hands-off for the faculty members so they just basically show up uh, present the content in a probably a slightly different manner than if they were doing it to an in-person class like at least I hope it's a different manner intended for an online audience um, but there's no editing they have to do um, no uploading we all do that for them in the back end um, sounds like magic in some ways it does and for a lot of <laughs> <laughs> for a lot of faculty that's what it seems like to start with insert magic wand zone uh, okay, I will make sure to do that. I'll make sure that the show notes for this episode uh, has links to some example videos because I imagine there are people out there, um, the one listener we have, um, might not have seen how this works and is kind of trying to, to make sense of this. I mean, what's what's really, I guess I'll reuse the word magical about it, 
is that it creates a special kind of experience between uh, the people who are watching the video and the person who's creating it. Something that you don't get if you just, for example, using software to record what you know, we call a screencast, which is, well, it's what's on your screen. It's different from something like lecture capture, where the camera might be way at the back of the room and the person who's actually doing the lecture is it looks really far away and it's kind of like you're in the nosebleed seats at a baseball game or something. Um, or, but then also, you know, if the person then goes to write on the board, the problem is you're just getting their their back. Uh, learning glass, the, the light board. The idea here is that the entire time that the person is presenting and talking, they're talking at the camera. They're looking at the camera. And between the camera and the, the person who's presenting, there's a piece of glass, which, of course, you can't see because it's glass. But with the magic of some lights in the right place and the right kind of markers, you're actually able to write on it in a way where the words then just sort of magically hang in the air. And uh, it really is a magical effect. And it creates that intimacy, I think, between the audience and the presenter, which you don't get in a lot of other video formats. It's really engaging. The video content that you've been developing with faculty, I would imagine as an online learner, uh, when you don't get to see your instructor typically face-to-face, um, you know, having that level of engagement is really important. And we know that engagement is really important. Yeah, for sure. It, it definitely helps a lot with engagement. I'm just looking at some stats here, and I've worked just this semester with a new faculty member um, in organic chemistry here at Grand Valley. And just in the last 30 days, his uh, roughly 60 students have watched 13,000 minutes of his videos. Wow. Um, which is really good. That's and incredible. The average view is five minutes long, a little over five minutes long. Or actually, 80 students, I should say, he has. Um, so it's really good. Um, he's got really good feedback on it, too. Um, it is something we try to survey. So I've surveyed a lot of students in classes that are using this heavily. And um, it's not probably the most scientific of study, necessarily, just kind of asking for feelings on video types. but. Um, students always report that they prefer the lightboard videos over screencast videos or other kind of genres, which is really good. To see. And I'll be the first person to, I am the first person to be skeptical about surveys that just ask for effective responses. But I think that's important here when we're talking about engagement, because so much of engagement is that affective response. How does this make you feel? Do you feel closer or farther from from the person who is leading your course? Yeah, I've definitely been I've definitely been approached by some faculty members who want to go further into researching it and kind of go all out and do like eye tracking on videos. So like there are faculty members out there who are interested in like uh, you know the best way you could find out how engaging a video is to actually have a student watch two videos back to back and then have a camera watching their eyes and figuring out what parts of the video they're watching. Um, so if they're paying attention at all or if they're not. Um, so there's I've had some talks about doing some more serious studies with it, but obviously that's pretty intense. It yeah. would take a lot of time for some A lot of planning. Yeah. But, um, but yeah, I mean, kind of the more inform- informal stuff, it's nothing that's publishable really. Um, just kind of just to get a feel and just kind of take a temperature of how students are feeling. It's all been really, really positive. So I can see the immediate implication for certain disciplines like math. You mentioned chemistry. Things where there's a lot of board work that would normally be involved in a face-to-face class. What's the the most sort of left field course or discipline where you've seen someone come in and make a late board video that's the farthest removed from, hey, let's do like a math problem on the board or something? I think the best example I have is I have someone who is a professor of Chinese and she comes in. She's actually made 100 videos to very short. They're like two minutes long uh, this semester where she goes up and she writes the character, the Chinese character, 
Um, and you know, it's important the order in which you write the character. So that would be really hard to show on a screencast. Actually, you probably couldn't without using like a stylus or something like that. Um, she shows, she has graphics up that kind of show the meaning of it. She explains it that way. So that's a really, really good one. Uh, foreign language in general, really any language, um, uh, even um, uh, linguistics is a really good um, field too. So people have done it where they pull up uh, pull up sentences and then they can, you know, kind of just show, you know, notate out on the board each part of the sentence and how it works and how it works linguistically, which has been really cool to see. Uh, outside of language, I've also seen even just like uh, even people in the College of Education have used it to kind of show like, um, you know, course objectives and how each ass assignment is assigned to a, is relates to a course objective, which obviously is great course design. Hopefully most people are doing that, at least in their head, but um, at least doing it in the course introduction to show students that, you know, all these assignments actually mean something and relate to something. Um, that's been a really cool one. Um, even just the library, I've had librarians use it just to talk about the services that they provide, um, just to kind of put a face to a name and a voice and a personality to a name. So, you know, librarians aren't probably as, you know, seen as reachable by some students, especially, you know, they're not necessarily your instructor. So some librarians have gone out there and made little introduction videos using the light board to try to seem more approachable to students. So for our listeners out there, our faculty that are interested in making a light board, what would what do they need to do? How do they reach out to you or what are yeah, the next steps? Pretty much, uh, we're pretty informal about it, which I like. Um, we pretty much just have, I, I try to kind of create awareness that I'm kind of the guy to contact, either myself or Hunter really, or the guys to contact to set up a time for that. Um, usually it works where faculty just contact us. Um, we like to meet with them the first time they do it because it can be intimidating the first time. It definitely takes longer the first time, but once you get good at it, you can really start to pump out videos pretty fast. Um, but then after that, usually we have them meet with our student workers. Um, well, they'll they'll be there just to kind of come in whenever we're open um, to record and edit um, and yeah, get it all uploaded. So it's definitely not a self-service. I know some schools have tried to go self-service with Lightboard and I don't think, I can't see that working here at least. It's it's not, It's there's too many things that can go wrong and too, too many little troubleshooting things that the average faculty member would be intimidated by if they had to troubleshoot. So. Um, but it's we've had a lot of success this semester even I have two faculty members one in uh, chemistry and one in um, modern languages who they just come every week at a certain time meet with a certain the same student worker and pump out four or five videos a week um, which has been great um, same thing in our business college I have someone meeting every week down there um, to make videos so it's been working really well like that yeah and I think it's important to remind those at home that even though we do talk a lot about hybrid and online courses and classes being offered like that it's obvious why you would want to use videos and videos that were better at engaging your students but i mean even for face-to-face -face classes there are a lot of instances where creating instructional video content is valuable um if you're thinking about doing something like a flipped classroom obviously ben obviously beneficial there but uh, even if you're just interested in making some supplementary content, hey, um, the light board might be for you. Yeah, definitely. I think uh, especially if you, even if people are flipping classes and videos, obviously not shouldn't be the end all be all no, of no. flip classes. And I definitely don't see it that way. But if you have those videos, it at least gets you started. If you have if you flip your class, it's 
quite easy to move to a hybrid or online model. At least a lot of people see it that way. So I've had some faculty members, especially my people in modern languages, that's how they see it. That's how they talk about it. They're not teaching online or hybrid classes, but they know they want to in the future. So they see this kind of flipped step as like an intermediary step to make it really easy to make this online and hybrid or hybrid. So earlier you mentioned some statistics that you're able to get about a, a faculty member that was using a light board. Um, I just wondered if you could talk, I'm assuming those are statistics that you're getting out of the Panopto system. Yeah, yeah. And we, we have talked about Panopto in previous episodes mm -hmm. and, and gave some updates and, and those sorts of things as we were rolling those out. I think it was maybe episode four or so. Do you, I don't maybe, know if you remember. No idea. What episode right? is this? But I was wondering if you might talk a little bit more about Panopto and how you see that, the use of, of that at, at Grand Valley State University. Sure, yeah. So Panopto has been growing super fast. Uh, I just looked the other day. Uh, before I left last week, and we had 12,000 active users out of, what, roughly 30,000 possible users on campus, 26,000 students, a couple thousand faculty members, So, um, which is really good. So almost half the campus is using Phenopto in some yeah. way or another, which is great. Um, our watch hours are up. Uh, just last week, we averaged uh, 19,000 watch hours a week, um, which is really good. Um, and, and we had a big spike in, in usage, right, when yeah. we had the snow week, the yeah. snow week, the <laughs> polar vortex week. Yeah, it was cool to see that for sure. I mean, you could just see faculty using it. I mean, all of the emails I got that week were all about Panopto, basically, and how they could make up that time, which it's a really good service to do that for sure. Um, and yeah, and the kind of the usage actually held after that. So faculty used it for the snow week and said, oh, you know, maybe I could do this in the future for just normal content, which I've been doing on normal schedules, which has been cool to see. For our listeners, right? you're not familiar with the polar vortex situation in Michigan, that was where we had a whole week Knocked out uh, where classes were canceled. Uh, I think the whole state shut down pretty much. Pretty right? much for a week, yeah. Um, Michigan was just closed. Yeah, yeah. so yeah, this, it's really good. The really good statistics too is super impressive. I mean, you can see what students watched, what videos for how long, where they stopped watching it, what parts they skipped, all that stuff. Um, quizzing, which is really good. So I have some faculty members who are adding like minimal quizzing at the end of videos. So I always encourage faculty to kind of see that as a formative assessment and not necessarily uh, like associate points in a summative way to so it. Like high stakes. Right? Yeah, really try to make it more a part of like the just participation more or less. Okay, uh, so help me understand something here a second, Justin. Um, so what's the difference between having students watch a video like, like in YouTube or Panopto and then giving them a quiz in Blackboard versus using the quizzing features of Panopto itself. So basically, if you use the quizzing features in Panopto, it's going to automatically pop, pop up the quiz near the end of the video, which is nice. Um, they take the quiz and then it pushes it back into Blackboard Gradebook if you'd like it to, it doesn't have to. Um, which is nice because it's kind of one integrated thing as opposed to having two things. So as opposed to having them, okay, watch this video, then click this button to launch this quiz. It's just kind of one integrated experience, which is nicer, um, at least I think it's nicer. Um, and the statistics that you get out of Panopto are probably better than what you'll get out of Blackboard Gradebook. Um, it just kind of, it's probably the same statistics, it just shows it to you in a more useful way. You can see averages quicker, you can see what each student did quicker, you can see averages on each question quicker. Um, I, I think it's a lot, it's a nicer way to look at that kind of data. Does it, when it pops the quiz up, 
in the middle of a video, does it prevent you from going forward, advancing beyond yeah. that quiz? Do you have to answer the question yeah. first as a student? Yeah, you can choose to set it that way. Okay. So you can choose, have all sorts of choices on how you want the quizzes to set up. So options you want to give students uh, with, once they're within the quiz, uh, they can retake it, not retake it, all sorts of stuff like that. And then does it pass that grade or is there a Blackboard integration that passes yeah. the grade back to the Blackboard mm -hmm. gradebook in some way? Or yep. yeah. So if you, you wanted can, to set it up that way, you could do that? Yeah, you can have it set back to the uh, Blackboard gradebook. Okay. Or any gradebook for that matter. My thoughts. Justin, <laughs> before we wrap up this episode here uh, with highlighting what, what it is that you're doing here to support faculty uh, and their teaching and learning through digital media, I wondered if you could talk a little bit more about um, the projects that you've worked on. You, you have a quite a list of really cool, innovative things that you're doing out of the Digital Studio. I wondered if you could talk a little bit more about the, the projects page that you've created sure. to highlight some of the work that you're doing. Yeah, so I mean, besides the Lightboard videos, which is obviously a pretty big, like turned into a really big project overall, it's kind of ongoing project. We've done a lot of other like major projects. So uh, I really try to focus in on like high population courses, so, like or entry level chemistry courses. Um, I made all new safety videos for them a few years ago. So customized safety videos that are custom for Grand Valley, using Grand Valley students, Grand Valley faculty members, using our rooms, all that good stuff. So we spent a very large portion of the summer just working on that project, which is which is great. They look really good. They're fun. They're not as corny maybe as you know the ones that you might remember from that were probably produced in the 80s or 90s that are a little rough now. Um, so yeah. They, Gee, Johnny, I dare you to drink that hydrosulfuric acid. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Oops. So we're, yeah, I think ours are a little more fun. At least. So that, that's fun. I like doing big projects like that. Even just this semester, we did a big project for the capstone course in statistics where uh, we did good example and a bad example of a consulting, uh, a consulting appointment that a statistical consultant would have, um, which has been really cool. So we actually had an actress come in um, and um, play the role of the uh, client, which was cool. Um, I also help a lot with like student video projects. So I've had an ongoing project for the last few years in the math department where a professor has her students create math games that are intended for like elementary age kids. And then at the end of the semester, I help them make in, uh, instructional videos on how those games are played. And then we open source all that on, the, on part of our Grand Valley website. Um, so families could go and download all the pieces to the games, all the instructions, all that stuff, and then watch the instructional videos so they could know how to watch or how to use um, those games for educational reasons. Uh, we also do a lot of like interactive tutorials. So I've made interactive tutorials on APA. Um, I've done a whole bunch of like really specific medical tutorials. So um, like really specific at um, I can't say the word ever. Anatomy, uh, really specific anatomy uh, tutorials. So basically drag the X to some very specific piece of anatomy, um, which, is, which is a really cool experiment or a really cool um, tool because it's basically the board exam for a lot of different medical fields. So a lot of these board exams for different licenses for uh, various medical fields is, you know, you have to identify certain things. So, so we basically just recreated part of their board exam uh, and they're able to practice that um, in a lot more relaxed environment, obviously. Um, I think other things. Uh, we've done some like other higher end videos. I work with a professor um, in here in movement science um, where he wanted to do uh, like a set of like very short exercise videos. So basically just how to do very specific uh, like lifts or different exercises 
and he wanted it to look really professional so we actually created like an infinity white background and then recorded him doing all these exercises and then he went he actually went back and annotated them um kind of peeking back onto the virtual reality space to a degree at least I've, i'm really interested in 360 degree video 360 video um so i've done tours of there's a facility in grand rapids that is for um, as i understand it at least it's for um children who have um, terminal illnesses and it's like a playground for them basically it's indoor playground and um, it obviously needs to be kept extremely sanitary so it's not feasible to take a class students <laughs> field trip of you know 20 college students yeah. come walking through there yeah that's not really feasible <laughs> so instead of that I went with a faculty member who had a contact at this facility um, and we got sanitized as we walked in and then we did a 360 degree tour of that facility um, so now her students can can actually kind of know what that facility looks like, what it's all about, without actually going there. Which now, three sixty degree video. I know it's becoming more common. Do does the average student need anything special to watch a three hundred and sixty degree video? Not really. I mean, so it would be probably a better experience if you had something like Google or uh, Google uh, Cardboard. Um, but you can still watch on YouTube and just kind of control the video with the WASD keys. I'm gonna look around, or, or the other keys are arrow keys if you'd like. Um, so yeah, that's, it's pretty easy to do now. Also, when I was doing this, it was kind of in the infancy of 360 video. I had to like do some like crazy, like Python stuff to like get codec to, to get YouTube to read a codec and all this stuff, but it's way nicer now. It's pretty much automated and super simple. So, so when you work with faculty, I mean, they're, they're coming with an idea, right? So I guess if you're inspired by some of the things that Justin's been talking about, uh, you can look more on our website, which is gvsu.edu slash elearn slash DS projects and uh, see what else is possible. But but they can just come and, and come with an idea and, and yeah. talk it through with you as well, right? Yeah, definitely. I mean, all those things started with a really short email or conversation in a hallway somewhere. So yeah, all it's, yeah, everything, every time we open to anything, um, obviously we have people, faculty coming to us who have ideas that are pretty out there and they're really great ideas and we just don't necessarily have the resources to do them but maybe we can kind of scale it down to something that is doable and maybe it could work up to their dream uh, or what they're thinking so um yeah we're definitely always willing to listen and you know see what is possible and see maybe if we can help students at least get you know a more unique take on a piece of content well thank you justin um a lot of great stuff there um, we're very proud, very happy to have both Justin and Hunter here as part of the team that helps support faculty in their instructional needs. And uh, you know what? I think this episode might be a wrap. Um, Before you wrap up, can I add one more thing? Yes, maybe. <laughs> so I just wanted to use this as an opportunity to uh, remind uh, our listeners, remind our faculty that we have a Teaching and Learning with Technology Symposium coming up. Oh, yes. uh, this is an awesome event every year, uh, Wednesday, May 1st, and we'll be this year on the Allendale campus in the Mary Adam Appeal Library Learning and Information Commons. Yeah, so now you put the pressure on me, Eric, because I have to get this out before April 30th. So. Oh, no pressure. <laughs> no pressure at all. And for those of you who are not part of the Grand Valley community or are not going to be in West Michigan on Wednesday, May 1st, Information about the presenters and the presentations will be available online. We usually do put together a little video as well, so we'll try to get some of that information out in a way that uh, people out around the world can enjoy it. So thanks, Justin, for stopping by, and uh, I think that's it. So until uh, the next episode, 
This is T-Squared, a teaching and technology podcast. See you, Eric. See you later, man. See you, Justin. Bye. Bye-bye. T-Squared is a teaching and technology podcast produced by Grand Valley State University's e-learning and emerging technologies team. Our theme music is from Bill Ryan and the Grand Valley State University New Music Ensemble. Last time I left you with a poem, I thought I'd do that again. Roses are red. Violets are blue. Syntax error on line 32. T-squared.